Chapter 6, Ancient Knowledge of Evil and Good, that is, Life. In earlier chapters, we examined the 200 angelic watchers that left their positions of watching to become personally involved with humanity in procreating and teaching. In fact, the one referred to as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was apparently one of the chiefs among those rebel watchers. Also pointed out previously, in lieu of the watchers coming through the front door, that is a dimensional portal with their illicit knowledge, they are now working through the back door, that is our minds. The greatest genius inventor of all time, Nikola Tesla, admitted his ideas did not originate with him, but were given from another dimension through his mind. In fact, the great Nazi scientists of World War II, such as Werner von Braun, who became the chief scientist of NASA, echoed the same sentiment. During the war and before, those scientists searched the world for supernatural connections and knowledge, much of which they found. <clears throat> it has still not been revealed to the general population just how much knowledge was found, but it was a world-changing and not exactly for good. <clears throat> that truth was the basis for such movies as Raiders of the Lost Ark and Hellboy. Following are a few examples of ancient knowledge being reintroduced to humanity from the watchers on the other side of the curtain. <clears throat> the Nazis claimed the other dimension was a source of jet and rocket engines, plus the atomic bomb. Speaking of atomic and nuclear bombs, most everyone believes they were first invented in the U.S., which is not true. According to one of the Allied bombing pilots, this was a lecture from the 80s, it was only a fluke, and I believe, personally, it was supernatural invention, that U.S. bombers inadvertently dropped bombs on the German atomic bomb facility. A squadron of bombers on an unsuccessful bombing run because of much too, fo much, too much fog had to unload their ordnance in order to have enough fuel to return to base. Due to the heavy fog, they thought they were dropping their bombs at sea, but took out the Nazi bomb facility instead. <clears throat> I haven't seen documented proof of this except for the word of one of the pilots and some German scientists making reference to it. But considering the lies our government and media tell us, I tend to lean towards the accidental bombing of the Nazi facility as the truth. Actually, though, it was neither the Nazis nor Manhattan, Project Manhattan in the U.S. that invented the atomic bomb. I'm referring to the Hindu Mahabharata, supposedly written 20,000 years ago, which speaks of floating cities upon which the sky gods lived. Those writings chronicle the sky gods waging battles where they threw balls of light that exploded like a thousand suns. It also tells us how those balls of exploding light would melt people's skin and make their fingernails fall out. Wow, could we really have a more precise description of nuclear warfare? How interesting also is the Mahabharata's illustrations of those, these sky gods with animal faces. Proof of the Mahabharata's writings is the physical evidence of ancient nuclear explosions, such as an ancient village in southern Pakistan in the Darfur Valley that was nuked in ancient times, leaving the country vitrified for miles around. Only a nuclear weapon can produce the concentrated heat to melt the surface of the rocks that way. But we have even more ancient evidence of ancient nuclear warfare. Get this, on Mars. Scientists, that is outside of NASA, have examined the data sent back from the Mars probes showing the Xenon-129 levels multiple times higher than here on Earth. Xenon-129 is a compound produced by nuclear explosion. 
Here on Earth before the 1950s, Xenon-129 was all but immeasurable, but the exploding of nuclear bombs has caused a dramatic rise of Xenon-129, but still far below Mars. The Mars probes have revealed huge vitrified areas also. Again, strong evidence of an ancient nuclear war on Mars. But that isn't all. <clears throat> evidence has been turning up all over the globe of ancient technologies of flying machines, drawings, carvings, and even pieces of those machines. In fact, a piece of what has been determined to be uh, a part of an aluminum landing gear was found fossilized in a rock high up on a mountainside. <clears throat> also are the remains of dozens of ancient megalithic structures, some unduplicatable to even today. Huge uneven stones that have been molded together as if they were putty. Interestingly, they supposedly date to about 10 to 20,000 or 10 to 12,000 years ago as well. We can only conclude that ancient technology was of the watchers, that is, the tree or trees of the knowledge of good and evil. They no doubt were the Mahabharata sky gods that battled each other. Understanding this ancient history, can there be any doubt as to where modern technology originated and is originating? Only now it's being delivered through thoughts, visions, and dreams. That concept or conclusion is quite unsettling for most, but it is incredibly important, as we'll see in this compilation. The idea these transdimensional beings or creatures can mess with our minds is something most people are completely unwilling to entertain. It's simply too frightening, but it doesn't need to be. The Messiah told his disciples they would be given great power, power to tread on serpents and scorpions. I have no doubt the serpents and scorpions was a reference to the watchers, i.e. the Nahash and their offspring. <clears throat> the Creator is far more powerful than they. It's also apparent they are not allowed to directly mess with us unless we give them permission in some way. <clears throat> Unfortunately, one way we inadvertently allow, allow them is through ignorance. As Sun Tzu, the greatest military mind ever, is famous for writing, Keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. What that means is, if we don't know who our enemies are or what they're up to, we've already lost the battle, if not the war. Knowledge, in this case, is everything. People unwilling to acknowledge the supernatural, let alone the demonic realm, have already lost the battle, but hope will hopefully wake up to that reality before it's too late. <clears throat> in fact, that's the purpose of this book, to educate and wake people up before it really is too late. According to that time frame in the Creator's Torah, we have very little remaining time. Those who refuse to wake up to reality, embrace Him and His living instructions, are in for a very shocking and tragic future. In fact, NASA is tracking an asteroid called Apophis, that is the Egyptian god of chaos, which they say has a 100% chance of impact in the coming decade. <clears throat> After examining ancient evil technology or knowledge, we will now make a move to ancient knowledge of good. The creators did not leave us with the wiles of the evil ones without giving us instructions on how to deal with them, as well as an outline plan showing us what he is doing and when. Those ancient instructions, called the Torah, are very plainly outlined in the book of Leviticus. That's in chapter 23. There we find the creators outlined for an approximate 8,000-year time span for physical humanity. Again, the only logical purpose for that amount of time would seem to be the number of children the creators have planned for their family. <clears throat> no doubt the creators uh, have very special plans for many children, extending into eternity, where we can be sure there will never be a dull moment. 
In fact, I personally believe there will be absolutely no limit to what we, that is in the spirit realm, will be able to do and or accomplish. This idiotic idea of sitting around on clouds and playing harps or spending eternity staring in the face of God is such an absurdity. Remember, 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor has even entered into the heart of man the things Yahweh has prepared for those who love him. If we're to believe this scripture, we can't begin to imagine an amazing future waiting for those who love Yahweh and his Torah. That said, to truly love someone, we must love the things the one we love loves. This idea of loving Yahweh, that is God, without loving his Torah, i.e. law, is pure absurdity. Those who say they do are simply lying to themselves, not to mention everyone else. <clears throat> Again, the Bible translators mistranslated the Hebrew word Torah into law, which doesn't come close to the original Hebrew meaning. Considering we have been given free moral agency, Torah can only mean instruction. You see, law is not a word that designates true choice. If we break the law, we get punished, which is a coerced choice at best. <clears throat> On the other hand, we see the real essence of the Torah instructions and truly free choice in the Garden of Eden. Yahweh did not stop or punish Eve and Adam for partaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, though he told them not to. No, he let them make the bad, i.e. wrong choice, even though you know it broke his heart considering it was a death sentence. After all, they were created to live, not die. Death is what they were coerced to embrace in lieu of immortality, which they were told they could freely eat, that is, the tree of life. <clears throat> a good way to understand Yahweh's Torah, like the Ten Commandments, which correctly translated is words of instruction, is to view them as road signs. If we are desiring to get somewhere and we refuse to follow the road signs, or GPS, we will certainly not get where we want to be. Not getting where we want to be is the consequence, not punishment, for not following the instructions, i.e. Torah. Most Christian religions teach God, that is of the Old Testament, was this angry God with a big stick just waiting to punish his people the moment they break his laws, which they say are impossible to keep. Talk about a conundrum, but so absolutely incorrect. What kind of a sick God would give his people guidelines, that is, laws that are impossible to keep, and then punish them for failing? What ridiculous rubbish. Actually, the God of the Old Testament, that is Yahweh, is exactly the opposite. In fact, he is such a merciful God, his throne is called the mercy seat, not the judgment seat. The evil ones moved in and replaced Yahweh, the God of mercy, with an imposter image of a God like they are. What I find so incredibly ironic is the way Christianity uses every excuse possible not to follow the Creator's Torah instructions, which they relabeled law. They literally hate the whole concept, which is hilarious, considering our Christian governments, that is the federal down to local, pass hundreds of new laws every year. Our Creator has given us just a handful of simple instructions to guide our behavior, which people have been taught to hate. While our own governments have passed hundreds of thousands of laws, actually over a million, which they quickly punish for breaking. <clears throat> what is wrong with this picture? What is so interesting is how the Bible predicts the world in the end times would be lawless. Of course, that is a translator word. But never in the history of the world have there been so many laws. Obviously, what the translators translated law is not what was intended by the one giving the prophecy. Obviously, what is not being followed or kept are the Torah instructions, mislabeled law. 
which are the instructions on how to be happy, healthy, and prosperous, not to mention immortal. The evil watchers so hate Yahweh's Torah of love, they succeeded in demonizing not only him, but everything he has instructed and is doing. Hopefully you noticed the mention of immortality in the last paragraph. Well, I'll state again and prove it by scripture. We were not created to die. After all, why would a loving creator create us and then force us to go through the hell of getting old and decrepit and then dying many times very painfully? Again, what kind of a sick God would do that? Well, one thing is for sure, our loving creator Yahweh is not that kind of God and certainly does not want us to go through that kind of hell. In fact, Ezekiel 33.11 tells us, Yahweh takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, let alone the righteous. No, he takes no pleasure in any kind of death. <clears throat> to illustrate, let's go back to the beginning in the garden. Remember how Adam and Eve were instructed they could freely eat or partake of the tree of life. Well, unfortunately, the ch chief evil one convinced them to choose the tree of death. That is, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, they were coerced into choosing death over immortality. Right there is where the whole concept of supposedly having to die originated. But it is nothing but a lie. <clears throat> In fact, that is where I call what I call the immortal lie originated. The liar told Eve, you won't surely die, that Yahweh lied to them, but will be like the gods. And what is one of the attributes of the gods, i.e. watchers? They were immortal and had immortal souls. Considering that, what a coincidence all the major and even most of the minor religions of the world all agree on only that one thing, the immortal soul. Again, a major truth hidden right in front of our faces. In fact, that lie is also the origin of the whole reincarnation belief. We will investigate that later, but for now, let's look into the immortality choice just a little more. <clears throat> we reviewed Eve and Adam's choice of death which no doubt was accomplished by wrapping it up in the promise of amazing and glorious knowledge and the things that knowledge would provide. <clears throat> Unfortunately, virtually all Christianity has concluded even Adam's poor choice condemned all humanity to their consequence, i.e. death. But that is certainly not what the Torah or Bible teaches, considering we find the same choice of immortality offered Adam and Eve being offered to Yahweh's people in Deuteronomy 30. There in Deuteronomy 30, we find Yahweh instructing his people Israel, I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Choose life and blessings. Unfortunately, it's argued by all Bible teachers, at least that I've ever heard, what he was offering was a blessed life versus a cursed one, and then you die. Let's be real here. Life and death are presented as opposites there. Are we really to accept that if they or we choose life, they would have to die to receive that life? How absurd and silly. Those arguing Deuteronomy 30 does not mean what it clearly says. Also argue choosing life really means going to heaven after we die. Again, what nonsense. That argument is based on the non-biblical idea that we have an immortal soul. But nowhere in the scriptures do we find anything telling us that. No, when we die, we are dead until resurrected. That's Revelation 19. What the scriptures plainly do show, the soul whose sins shall die. That's Ezekiel 18. Again, the whole immortal soul lie is just that, a lie, straight from the Nahash in the garden. 
Lying is evil, and evil equals death. The only biblical argument people have for, for dying is Hebrews 9. But that scripture only seems to support their argument, but really doesn't. But what they don't realize is that the New Testament was written some 30 years after being passed orally, except for seven books of Paul, which Hebrews was not one of. The failing of their argument is the immortality given to Enoch, Elijah, and apparently Moses. It clearly stated in the record that Enoch, Elijah did not die, but were transported to heaven. Hebrews 9 saying we have to die at least once is obviously not true. What it's really saying is we can choose death once, but the second death, it's the final one. Again, after being passed orally for decades, things get distorted to one degree or another. That said, let's not forget the evil watchers, that is the rebellious angels, hate the creator Yahweh and want all his potential children dead. Are they not going to lie to us to accomplish that goal? Personally, I believe many of those rebel angels are just unable to handle the concept that we, puny flesh, mortal beings, will someday as children of Yahweh in his family have authority over them. It's like a rich man who has many servants taking care of his children. When the children are young, the servants have authority over them, and the children have to obey, just as if it's the father giving the instructions. But as the children grow, the day comes when they realize they, being the father's children, actually have authority over the servants. That said, there are many servants who are never quite willing to subject or submit to the young adults they see as wet-behind-the-ears children, especially after raising them. We must keep in mind the angels that will someday be under our authority have been around for probably millions of years, and many of them will simply not be able to accept us as superiors. Moving on, we have even more confirmation of the idea of choosing life over death, that is, immortality, in the teachings of the Hebrew Messiah, Yeshua, in the New Testament. In John 8.52, we find him telling the gathered crowd, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Again, never tasting death is immortality, not life after death, as Christianity teaches. With that in mind, are we really to believe none of the disciples and or apostles kept his word and they all died? Really? Well, if you believe that, I have some wonderful oceanfront property in Arizona to sell you. Cheap. Are we really to believe none of Yeshua's apostles were righteous and kept Yeshua's word and died? <clears throat> How does that not make Yeshua a liar? Well, I know who the liars are. The watchers and their lying puppets, the religious leaders. Of course, choosing life is not as simple as just speaking the words. No, as the Messiah plainly revealed in John 8, it is not just choosing but also keeping his words. And those words, that is, of love, are his Torah, outlined by the ten words, badly translated commandments. But the ten words, that is, love instructions, are about not hurting and or showing disrespect to our Creator first and each other second. After ancient Israel was given the Ten Commandments, or words, which are the negative side of love, that is, the don'ts, the Messiah came in to fill in, that is, fulfill between the lines, and teach the positive side, which is to not only do no harm, but to do good. According to Yeshua's teachings, not doing good, like feeding the hungry and clothing the naked, when that need is seen, and is the same as doing something bad to them. 
Let's not forget, when the Messiah was asked, what is the greatest commandment in the law, that is of the ten, was, the Messiah quoted Deuteronomy 6, 5, which says, You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. With that scripture, how shocking the way Christianity has worked to do away with that Torah of love. Again, love is life, i.e. immortality. Before winding up this chapter, people often ask, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Or allow horrific events to occur? Well, again, it goes back to free moral agency. Yahweh allows humanity to do whatever we want and, of course, to reap the consequences of for those actions much of which are generational. Again, love and respect cannot be forced unless we choose it. And besides, if Yahweh did not give us complete freedom to do whatever we want, people would tell him in the end, if you would only have let us do it our way, we would have figured out a way to have a perfect society and world. Of course, that's what socialism and communism promise. No, humanity needs to understand without the slightest doubt Doing it our way will only fail and earn us suffering and death in the end. <clears throat> to bring this chapter to a close, I'd like to leave you with what was called Pascal's Wager. It was actually a wager on the existence of a creator God, but works just as well here. You see, if we believe Deuteronomy 30, that we can choose immortality, but then die anyway, we've lost nothing. On the other hand, if we choose to believe we cannot choose immortality, and it's actually true, well, we've lost everything now, by default. <laughs>